everyone and welcome to SBC Services Online. We're really glad that you've joined us today. If you are new, my name is Kerry. I'm on staff at the church and it's my privilege to introduce the service to you. If you would like to let us know who you are and where you're tuning in from, you can head over to our guest page and someone on staff will be in touch in the week ahead. We are super excited this morning because we are launching our new preaching series called A Call to Courage, Lessons from the Book of Joshua. We're going to unpack this book together over the next few weeks and trust that as we do that, that there'll be lessons that we will not just learn, but be able to live out in response. I have one quick announcement to bring to your attention before I hand over to Joe and Alyssa, and that is that this coming Wednesday, we have a combined prayer meeting. Now we would usually all gather together at the church for that and spend an hour in corporate prayer, but we can't do that at the moment. And so we're gonna get creative. We're gonna have a bunch of your leaders up on our Facebook live stream. They will introduce a prayer topic to you and start the prayer into that section. And then a slide will pop up that you'll be able to pray through at home. As you pray with us on Wednesday, we would love it if you would share what God lays on your heart with us. You can comment in the comment section with any scriptures or pictures that God gives you. And we are trusting that although we aren't united in the same building, while united around the same prayer points, that God will speak to us and lead us as a church. And so please do tune in for that on Wednesday at 7 on our Facebook page. I'm going to hand over to Joe and Alyssa now. They'll pray us into the service and then Matt's going to kick off our new series. Have a great service, guys, and I hope to see you on Wednesday. Good morning, SBC. We really miss you and we can't wait until we can see you again. Although we may feel scattered at this time, not being able to meet face to face, I take encouragement from the fact that we are still united in the shared hearing of the preaching of God's word. I just want to bring you encouragement this morning. When we look throughout the Gospels, we see it explains and shows that Jesus has compassion many, many times. He has compassion on the world's suffering, on its hunger, on its loneliness, on its sorrow. And if you just look at that, really, uh, that's exactly what we're going through as a world at the moment. And I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus still has compassion on the world right now. But just not, not in the world in a general sense, but also for you, particularly for you as well. And the call of Christ is to come and experience his compassion through prayer. So this is going to read us two verses um, that help us understand that. Our first verse is from Psalm 116, verse 1 to 2. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy, because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. The second verse is from Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's come to the compassionate Christ in prayer right now. Dear Lord, we are incredibly grateful that you are a God who is powerful and absolutely in control of the situation. But at the same time, not only are you powerful, but you're compassionate towards us. You have a deep love for us. And we pray for our church and our nation and our world that you would have compassion on her, that you would come and comfort her and look after her and protect her, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over to Matt, who's going to be bringing us the word. Hello everyone, welcome to our online service today. Um, missing you all. Also very warm welcome to any of our first time visitors that checked in online today. Um, and anybody that's been journeying with us over the past couple of weeks or maybe for the first time who are open to considering what it means to be a Christ follower. We really hope today everyone who hears this message will be blessed and be benefited by it. 
And uh, it's a great Sunday because we're kicking off our new series called A Call to Courage. We're going to be looking at uh, lessons from the book of Joshua, uh, particularly around this thing of courageous faith. And uh, we're going to be looking at the life of Joshua and God's people, Israel, and seeing how they displayed courageous faith through many uh, challenges and trials and how God brought them through to great blessing on the other side of uh, them trusting him. And so Joy Fetting is going to read the scripture for us this morning in just a moment uh, from Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. But I want to just give a quick historical background as to where we are as we open up this uh, amazing book of Joshua today. The Israelites at the start of this book of Joshua are right close, tantalizingly close to the promised land. They've got one more river to cross called the River Jordan. And uh, it's taken them 40 years to get to this point. Uh, you'll remember their journey started um, on that last night in Egypt when that final plague, when the angel of death passed over uh, Egypt. And the Israelites had to put their faith in the blood of a Passover lamb where they, they killed a lamb and they had to paint the blood on the doorposts of their houses and hide under the blood, put their faith in the blood to rescue them from this Passover of death. And uh, the very next morning, they had to immediately leave Egypt and they started to journey towards this promised land. And God did amazing things. He split the Red Sea. He uh, produced water from a rock and, and produced manna from heaven. And uh, that first generation that left Egypt had an opportunity. They got to stand on the borders of the promised land. And uh, God gave them the opportunity to enter in. It was their moment for courageous faith. But when they looked at what was ahead of them in the land, they recoiled in fear, except for two men, Joshua and Caleb. And uh, Joshua and Caleb had to wait until that generation died in the wilderness and uh, until they could enter into the promised land. And so it took 40 years in total for the Israelites to work themselves to this point at the opening of the book of Joshua. And uh, Moses has just died, and Joshua is taking up the new leadership um, over the people of Israel. And so Joy is going to be reading for us right now. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to Inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, 
that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the first point I want to make today in looking at the text is this was a massive moment of change for Israel. You know, this call to courage, um, which God uh, commissions Joshua to have, it's in a moment of not only change, but loss and grief. Uh, there's a really poignant statement made when uh, God says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And in pondering this, I, I almost feel, you know, it's very relevant to our day today and what we're facing with this coronavirus and, and the world around us is just a lot of processing of loss and grief. And yet God's call to courage comes in the midst of that. And it was a call to courage in the midst of great change. And the, the change came in two major ways for the Israelites. The first was new leadership. I mean, you can just imagine these Israelites and, and Joshua himself, he's just lost a friend in Moses. They were very close. He was Moses' assistant. But also their great leader, Moses, who had led them for 40 years, had seen them through so many ups and downs, is gone. And now this new guy, Joshua, has to step into big shoes. And um, it's, it's a big moment in the life of Israel because it's a massive change in leadership. But the other aspect of change that Israel is facing at this moment in their history is they're about to enter into an entirely new way of life. You must remember that for 40 years, they had quite a sheltered life in many ways, quite a quiet life from enemies. There are different challenges in the wilderness, but they certainly didn't have to regularly face pitched battles, face massive cities with huge walls. Um, the second they moved over, we're going to read into the promised land, they crossed that Jordan, the manna dried up, they had to live off the land. Their, their whole way of living was about to change. And how true of it for our day, as we face these unique challenges which this virus has introduced for the world and for the church. But again, I want to point out that the call to courage came in the midst of all of this. And it was possible for the Israelites as they faced this time of massive change. My second point today is this, and it's an important point, and I want to spend a bit of time on it, is that Israel's journey is a picture of our salvation. And I want to spend time on this because we can learn a lot about our salvation from the Old Testament. Uh, it's why the Old Testament is very precious to us as Christians. And I want to show today how Israel and their journey from Egypt to the promised land is a picture of our salvation as Christians. And so at this point, my first statement is this. Do you notice that the only thing qualifying these Israelites to enter into God's promises is because they have trusted in the blood of the Passover lamb. That is so important. You see, we can be too hasty to think today that all of us can just check in at the point of uh, the book of Joshua. We're on track with God. We're in his purposes and plans already, and we're going to go and take the land. No, no. I want to be very cautious today and, and very helpful to you 
the place that you must start in terms of engaging with this book is where the Israelites started. You must remember they were slaves in Egypt. They were stuck. They couldn't get out. They were in that kingdom. And it was only through their trusting in the blood of a Passover lamb that rescued them from death that enabled them to be delivered from that kingdom and to start becoming uh, a part of God's purposes and plans as they track towards the promised land. And what does that mean for us in the 21st century? It means this. Just where the Israelites had to start, my friend, so you have to start, is until you have put your blood in the perfect Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, you're stuck in Egypt. You're a captive to your sin, and you can't get out. And if you want to know more about this, I want to encourage you to listen to our Easter weekend messages. But it is so important. Your journey can only start in terms of being a part of God's people and having a relationship with God and being able to move forward in the plans and purposes that he has for you. You can only do that when you start by putting your faith in the blood of the perfect Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ. That blood he shed on the cross and his resurrection again on the third day is what you must shelter under like those Israelites did in Egypt. They had to hide under the blood. The blood was the only thing that was going to separate them from sin and death. And so have you done that today? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And is he your only hope? Because if you haven't yet, you have to start there before you can start entering into the fullness of the book of Joshua for you. And so that's my first point is salvation starts. The journey starts with God when you put your faith in the blood of the Passover lamb and you put your faith in Jesus. The second point I want to say is this, is that this, the Israelites journey illustrates to us very clearly that putting your faith in the blood of the Passover lamb, well, for us as Christians, putting our faith in the blood of Jesus is just the start. It's very interesting if you read about it in the Old Testament. God commanded the people to have their traveling cloaks put on that night of the Passover. They had to have their traveling staff in their hand. They had to cook bread that was very quick to, to bake and to eat. And they had to be ready to leave the second the Passover happened. And friends, they couldn't stay in Egypt. And I want to say to you, the very faith that saved them, they had to start walking in it immediately. And so that's the same for you and me as Christians. Our salvation is not just a saving faith, it's an applied faith. And it's a faith you have to go on applying to every single area of our lives. They had to apply their faith when they were facing the Red Sea. They had to go on trusting God when there was no visible food. They had to go on trusting God when they were thirsty and there was no visible water. That God was going to be true to his word. As they, he had been true to their salvation, he was going to be true to being faithful to supply what they needed in everyday life. And I want to say to you today, if you are a born-again believer, if you've put your faith in the blood of the Passover lamb, you cannot stay in your old life. You have to leave Egypt. That old way of thinking and that old way of living has to change if you're going to enter into what God has for you and be a part of his kingdom purposes. Now, you'll notice that when you study the book of Exodus and the book of Joshua, is there is this countless number of times where they are put in trouble and difficulty and uncertainty. And you can see that over and over again in the story of Israel, even when they enter into the promised land, as we'll see in Joshua, God allows these periods of need to happen to develop a dependency gap. Where in other words, you can see the need, but you're not sure how it's going to be met. And really, in essence, the book of Joshua 
is a lesson over and over again of being willing to trust God no matter what, to bridge that dependency gap with faith. And this is why it's called courageous faith that we're looking at today, is when we are called to apply our faith, you have to have courage because there's going to be a dependency gap over and over again. And, you know, I don't know if I often ask a lot of questions, but when reading the Bible from a young age till now, I cannot get away from the fact how often you see these dependency gaps come up. And related to your own life, you see these dependency gaps often, right? Yeah. And um, I wanted to point out to you today, the reason why God allows these dependency gaps in your life over and over again is because he wants you to exercise faith. Faith matters to God. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I want us to chew on a little bit as we as we tackle this book of Joshua. Friends, faith is very important to God for a few reasons. Uh, the first is that faith affirms who God is. I want to say to you today, when you choose to bridge that dependency gap, whatever that is right now in your life with faith, you're saying, God, I trust you based on your character and your word. I'm putting my eggs in your basket. When you do that, you know what it's called? It's called worship. And I don't want us to miss the many moments of worship during this coronavirus crisis where we get an opportunity to bridge the dependency gap that we might be feeling in these moments with faith. Faith affirms who God is. The other thing that faith does is it allows God to do things his own way. And God is quite jealous about this in our lives. You see, when you are willing to bridge the dependency gap and fill it with faith, is you're giving freedom for God's hand to move in the way he wants to. Now, if you're like me, I know you are. We want to get our hands in there all the time, right? We want to try and figure it out. We want to solve it. We want to try in our timeline, in our way. We want to be in control. We want to be secure. But God is saying in faith, you are actually letting him have his own way. Why is that important? Because faith allows God to show us who he is. It creates space for him to reveal himself to us and say, guys, this is how I work. These are my ways. And let me tell you, the only way you and I are going to mature as believers is if we get to know who God is. And the way that happens is allowing him to work in our lives. And the principle of, of 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 is very important. It says, when we see him, we will be like him. But we can sort of see God now, this side of the grave. In, as we start to learn God's ways, we are able to adjust our lives accordingly and mature in the way that we have relationship with him. And that's so important. You know, the great criticism of the first generation of Israelites who fell in the wilderness, who didn't exercise courageous faith, faith was in Hebrews chapter 3, God says, they did not know my ways. And so, friends, courageous faith leads to maturity because it allows us to see how God likes to work. And the last statement I want to say, why is faith so important, um, is it ensures that God always gets the glory. You see, when you t- your posture is, God, I'm trusting you, to lead me and provide for me in bridging this dependency gap. Well, when you make it through to the other side, who gets the credit for it? It's God. And so we learn from Israel's salvation that it's not just a moment. It's learning to apply courageous faith in these dependency gaps and how powerful it is in their journey in being able to not only glorify God among the nations, but also to grow in God and establish and a pattern of dependency that creates a great blessing. But I want to point out, what is the blessing? It's my last point. 
under this second heading of Israel's journey being a picture of our salvation today. Do you realize that this faith that the Israelites had in the blood of the Passover lamb, it had a future aspect? They were hoping for something. It wasn't just rejoicing what had happened. It was going after what God still wanted to give them. And the great theme of Joshua is this theme of inheritance. It's big. You know, by nature of their salvation, they wanted to inherit what God had for them in that promised land. And think about it for a moment. Every Israelite had their own little plot of land waiting for them. I mean, if it was me, I mean, you didn't know quite what it was going to look like, but you knew that God was going to lead you there. And Joshua's role was to lead his people into their inheritance. And they were so excited. It was part of what fueled Caleb's faith and Joshua's faith. Was There was land for them in this kingdom of God. There was a plot of land. And every Israelite felt the enthusiasm and expectation of realizing there was something to be gained. Do you realize that for you? Friends, God has a plot of purpose for you. And it's a plot of blessing that when you land on it, Hebrews calls it being the, the entering into rest. It's what Paul calls about finishing the race, fighting the good fight, this crown of righteousness, this reward that's waiting for him. He, they can't wait to get in there because they want to get hold of what God has for them. And so we must have the same attitude today, friends, as we look at the book of Joshua. This is to echo in our hearts again and again that we have an inheritance. We are called co-heirs with Christ, and we are not to be like Esau, who gave up his birthright for a pot of stew, Right? Let's not do that in this in this stage of our lives. We want to enter into the fullness of what God has for us. And so my last point today is this. Well, we've looked at the meaning of courageous faith and, 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 and how important it is in, in seeing Israel's journey and applying that to our salvation. But really, in essence, what does the opening chapter of Joshua teach us about how to have uh, courageous faith, how to be strong and courageous? Well, the first point I want to make under this heading is this, is that you have to decide who your leader is going to be. Do you notice, I just followed myself, I'll just give you a little a personal note here. I, I realize in reading the book of Joshua, I have a tendency to make myself the hero. So I put my, myself in the, in the feet of Joshua, in the shoes of Joshua, and I'm Joshua in the story, ah, I'm the big guy. But actually, if you read Joshua 1, the command to be strong and courageous doesn't come to the people of God. It comes to the leader of God's people, and that's none of us. In other words, the people of God were to get their courage from their leader. They weren't generating this themselves. They were to look at their leader and find their source of courage from the leader. And it comes to at the very end of chapter 1 in verse 18, is the people say to Joshua, we're not going to be strong and courageous. You be strong and courageous. They command and they say, only be strong and courageous. We're looking to you as our source of courage. And friends, we have a much better leader than what those Israelites had. As Christians, remember, Joshua is just a forerunner of Jesus. When you, if you want to have a source of courage in this day and age, you're only going to find it from one person, your leader, Jesus Christ. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You're not going to be able to generate this courage in yourself. Good luck, my friend. You're going to be, a, you're going to be like me. You're going to be up on a roller coaster. Whenever I look to myself or the world, social media, whatever, you're going to be flummoxed. But when you see the rock of your salvation, 
when you see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has been tasked to lead you into your inheritance, who is not only the power of all authority, but has suffered in the same flesh that you have had, who's able to bear with your weaknesses and, and be so sympathetic in his prayer life, knowing strategically what you need and when, you, when you're going to need it. Friends, when you want courage, you can look to Jesus because he is an ample source of it. And so today, that's my first point. Who is going to lead your life? You need a Joshua. And friends, you have a great Joshua. If you're a believer in Jesus, your Joshua is Jesus. But if you are not yet a believer in Jesus, and if you're a Christian that is careless in this point, who's going to lead you in this time? Where's your allegiance? Is it going to be social media? Is it going to be your feelings, your circumstances? Is it going to be popular opinion? Friends, there are fickle leaders that are unfaithful and will lead you into fear. If you want courage, you have to decide today where your allegiance is going to lie. Is it Jesus? Is he going to be your Joshua? Because if you will make him your Joshua in this season and beyond, man, you will have ample source of courage. My second point is this. is: Do you notice that the Israelites had to learn to hold on to God's promises? Now, this is massive. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, uh, God says to Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. I have given to you. I haven't got there yet, but God said, I've given it to you now already. It's as good as done. Just as I promised to Moses. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Massive promises. And then for the first time off the back of those promises, it says in verse 6, be strong and courageous. Isn't that amazing? In other words, the seedbed for our courage as God's people is what he has promised through his word. And friends, if you are going to need a source of courage, it is going to be this wonderful well of promises, which is God's word. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 describes him as his precious and very great promises. And I want to ask you today, are God's promises in his word precious to you? Let me tell you, in seasons of trial, courageous faith finds God's promises very precious. It is the rock-solid ground on which we fall back on in rest and quietness and trust when we see that dependence gap grow, dependency gap grow. It's promises that God will keep his word that gives us courage. And how far you will go in this life, in the kingdom, will be determined how seriously you take God's promises. And that leads me to my third point, and this final heading is, and it's an extension of the second point, is it what gives you courage and gives you strength is a reverence for God's word. Do you notice again in Joshua chapter 1 verse 7, after immediately saying, only be strong and courageous off the back of his promises, there comes with a warning. And it's a serious warning, and I, I want to try and reflect the tone of that in what I'm going to say in this point. God goes on to, Josh, to, to tell Joshua, be, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Friends, this is very, very serious. It's a warning. It says, be careful. And it's a warning that comes with a blessing. But we have to attend to this first part. And the first thing that God knows about his people is that we're careless. That's why he has to say to Joshua, be careful. Not just careless. We, we have a propensity to be careless. Not just in the reading of God's word, but in the doing it. Not so. That's me. 
And this was such a wake-up call as he began to say, guys, we've got to be careful in how we handle and approach God's word in our lives. And I want to say to you that we are in bad trouble in this area as the 21st century church, particularly the Western church, is we have the curse of carelessness upon our world. And we live into that as Christians. And at the start of Joshua, I want to say to you, at the start of this season of unprecedented change in our lifetimes, is you have to be careful, my friend, around your relationship to God's word. There has to be a reverence in your heart for the gift of God's revelation to you in scripture. Because God goes on to say, don't turn to it from the right to the left. We have a tendency to wonder, right? And I remember, oh, my heart just connected so powerfully with that one line in that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It says, um, oh, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And that's what we like. And the New Testament writers describe this, this, this faith journey that we're on, that, that there's a, there's, it's like a ship. And you've got to be careful. You can shipwreck your faith. In other words, if you, if you decide to start sailing without a compass, in other words, you neglect God's word. You don't have this lamp into your feet and a light into your path. There are these hidden reefs in this life, these shoals that you can shipwreck your faith on. And friends, we have to be so careful if we're going to have success wherever we go in this next season, we have to be so cautious and careful around not wandering from the light of God's word. Also, God is very uh, careful here to say that this reverence for God's word is not just parts of it. He says, "Do not." Um, he says, uh, "Be careful, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you." In verse seven. In other words. All of scripture, I mean, all they had in those days was the law. That was their whole Bible. We now have the blessing of prophets and New Testament writers giving us the whole counsel of God. They had a portion of it. But friends, I want to just spur you on again and say, guys, are you engaging with the whole counsel of God? Are you giving yourself to all of scripture? That's the command here. We have a tendency to pick out our favorite books of the Bible, right? Or our favorite passages and sort of that's our default that we land back on. If you're like me, I know it's a struggle to give yourself to all of Scripture. And I want to ask you again, we're going to bang this drum over and over this year. Are you working through a systematic Bible reading plan? It can be different for you. I read Robert Murray McShane. I agree that it's not always the easiest one to start off with. Um, I just find there's something inspired about the way that he's divided up these readings. They're amazing. Um, but there are many other ways, that you, many other reading plans that you can give yourself to. And I want to remind you that this is a marathon. It's not a, it's not a moment. You know, if I look at the history of my Bible reading plan, it's like similar to my training to run. You know, the first time I had to run a 1K, I almost died. I think it was 2Ks. I, I ran 2Ks. And I can't remember having such chest pain after a run, like I did that first time. But you know, it's the same with Bible reading. You, you don't start saying, I'm going to run a marathon. You start by saying, okay, I need to start with a chapter a day, a book of the Bible. Then I go, okay, I'm going to increase that to a training uh, uh, method that's going to be a bit more. I'm going to read a couple of books, whether it's the Gospels or a chunk of Scripture, the Pentateuch or the, the New Testament epistles or the Minor Prophets. You work your way through these things. But essentially, don't kid yourself. This is going to be a life work. And I want to spur you on to say you will never regret time given to Scripture, ever. Oh, I must hurry on. And I want to 
remind you that uh, God, in his command to Joshua under this reverence for God's word, says we must allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the message of Scripture. In other words, we must let the meaning of Scripture penetrate our hearts, not just the content, the facts. In other words, we must meditate as, as God commands Joshua day and night on God's word. And what that means is you give time for this word to penetrate your mind and your heart, your soul. Because ultimately, I want to remind you that you're not picking up a novel here when you're picking up God's word. You're picking up a very sharp sword. It's a dangerous implement. And the carelessness that we can have with God's word can be very damaging. You know, if, if, if I was picking up a sword and I didn't know how to wield it, I could cut off my finger, I could chop off my toes, right? It could be, it's a really, I could even hurt other people. And if we don't have a reverence for God's word, I want to remind you, we're going to find ourselves in trouble where we can do damage to ourselves and to others. Rather, we must see, like that Roman soldier in Ephesians chapter 6 says, we, this is the, 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 the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's training. You learn how to wield it. You learn how to fight back. It's the only weapon in God's armor that gives you courage to push back. The rest makes you defensive. Leaning into God's word gives you courage to stand. And my last and final point is very brief is this. How do we learn to be strong and courageous? Well, we get courage from community. Do you notice that the Israelites needed each other? And the whole point of the second half of Joshua chapter 1 is there were tribes that had decided to settle down in land that wasn't part of the original promised land, in land before crossing the Jordan. But when it came time for the Israelites to go across the Jordan and get that inheritance, those who technically already had the inheritance says, we're coming with you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a picture of togethering where together every Israelite knew they had a clan and they had a tribe and they were going to go in with a communal identity. Friends, faith is not only taught, it's caught. It's caught from your brothers and sisters. And I want to challenge you today. Are you in meaningful community? Are you in meaningful relationship with God's people? If not, this is mission critical. You've got to pull in. You've got to tuck in. You've got to scram in closer. And we will help you do that. You reach out to your text group leader, your small group leader, staff, contacts. We need to be together in this because we need each other to get to our inheritance. And even if we are doing well, man, like those, those first groups of tribes, we back for our, for our brothers and sisters. We're not just happy to settle down in our own little space and go, we're good. We're together. That means we fight together. We take ground together. And don't forget moms and dads. Your little clan is your family in this time. Are you going to see your children as part of your clan, as part of your faith? It's leaning to faith at home. And stand together and be strong and courageous as we enter into the purposes and plans that God has for us, as we bridge that dependency gap with courageous faith and watch God move in these days. We want to enter into his blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Joshua. There's so much already in this first chapter, but Lord, I pray would sink deep into our hearts and set a spiritual appetite and tone us to run hard after you. Jesus, you're our Joshua. We want to have a leader. Lord, we recognize the blessing of your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We recognize the blessing of being in community here today. And we pray, God, would we be imitators of that second generation of Israelites in the midst of great grief and great change, Lord, stabilizing themselves, centering themselves, solidifying themselves in a perpetual confidence 
unshakable confidence and courage in the God who's called them and promised to be with them. In Jesus' name. Amen.